Welcome to the Reality Check Podcast. I'm Zachary Phillips. In today's episode, I'm going to be playing you a chapter from my first book, Under the Influence, Reclaiming My Childhood. Before we get into it, I just wanted to give you a bit of a backstory to the book. I initially started writing it as a form of therapy. My whole life I've had issues with anxiety and depression. And at my worst, I've been suicidal and committed self-harm. And over the, over the years, I've seen a few psychologists, quite a few, some psychiatrists, and tried a variety of medications. And they all helped to more or less of an extent to basically keeping me alive. But they didn't really give me a purpose to live. I never found a therapist that's really helped me directly. However, one of the best things that I've done for myself was to write down the story of my past. And the reason I called my book, or the subtitle to my book, Reclaiming My Childhood, was because that the act of writing the book helped me to take ownership of my past and, you know, sort of detach from it and see it from an adult perspective. I'm not going to lie to you, it's, it's a fairly intense read in parts, and given the subject nature, I talk about my childhood and what it was like growing up with a father that was a drug addict and a drug dealer. Now, he himself was a lovely man, but his addictions got the better of him. And whilst he didn't harm me directly, the people that he let into his house were a different story. So my whole life I've been sort of trying to come to terms with and deal with that sort of past. And, you know, I'm not saying that the pain that I've suffered is you know, worse than anyone else's. And the more I talk and the more I do this podcast and my blog and that sort of stuff, people keep sharing their stories with me. And, you know, there's a lot of pain that people have. But the reason I chose to release the book publicly is because through writing it, I got a lot of healing. And by releasing it and sharing it, other people that are in a similar position to me or have been in a similar position have also got a lot of healing from it. And I really want to encourage people to write their story just for themselves because it will really help you to reclaim your past. Who let the bum in? By the end of year seven, I was starting to realise just how different my father was from those of my friends. He rarely worked in a conventional setting and I had never known him to have a full-time job. Thinking back, I'm not sure if he ever held down full-time employment in his life. I only remember him working here and there, helping his friends with basic labouring or graphic design work. That, and the drug dealing. The lack of a role model, demonstrating the dedication needed for full-time employment, has left me struggling with employment issues of my own. I know it's illogical, but I can't help almost envy what he had. The freedom of his lifestyle. Yes, he was very poor, but despite only having positions of modest value, he had one thing that most people seemingly did not have. Time. Time to spend on projects, artwork, and gardening. Time for personal development, for friends and family. Time for anything other than the monotony of the daily grind. Maybe that's just a rose-tinted version of the truth. I've come to realise that if you give an addict too much free time, they get bored. He had to fill it somehow, and more often than not, it was spent getting high. Addiction and boredom typically lead to more usage, especially if the person is using the drug to escape. My dad was no different. So whilst he did have a lot of spare time on his hands, it was not used in the most beneficial way. He lived a wasted life. Regardless, it's still tough for me to find the motivation to work when I never saw an example growing up. 
Besides, who am I to judge? I've learnt that when I'm bored and have a plethora of free time, I seemingly drift towards my dad's example. Substances can temporarily stop the painful thoughts creeping in and taking hold. Inebriation has been the difference between life and death for me at some points. Reflecting upon this, I can't help but wonder at the kind of personal hell that dad was going through. What demons from his past was he trying to desperately escape? I wish I had asked. I wish I was mature enough to see then what I see now. Maybe talking with me would have helped him. Maybe it would have provided me with a deeper understanding. Who knows? When most parents worked, mine didn't. Dad supported himself with a disability pension, drug dealing, and charity from our extended family. I remember with clarity how at every Christmas and Easter gathering with my family, my father would always get a hamper as a gift. Do you know those hampers that people fill with donations for the poor and homeless? Like that. Random groceries that people take for granted were gifted as luxuries. Dehydrated coffee, canned meat with vegetables, and if we were lucky, chocolate biscuits. Yum. Whilst the rest of the family were receiving personalised gifts that showed love, thoughtfulness, and understanding, Dad was given charity. His face would drop every time it was given. He knew he was a failure, and his family was rubbing it in. Despite the fact that he actually needed the goods, it was still deeply upsetting to him. We were so poor that sometimes he went hungry just to feed us. Other times, I also skipped meals to be able to provide some food for my younger brother. I never told anybody about that. I was too ashamed. I remember being legitimately surprised when I went to a friend's house for a sleepover. His dad fed us three square meals with soft drinks and treats in between, and took us for a movie and even gave us some money for an arcade. Over dinner, I distinctly remember having the thought, aren't all single fathers poor like my dad? I couldn't fathom why they were different. I had assumed that all single dads were like mine, a touch odd with some special habits. We would survive off the charity of friends and family. Grandma would almost always drop off food for Dad each week. Other members of the family would regularly give him the cash he needed to be able to feed us. Thank God they were still there to provide some help. Often, we only ate because of them. Still, accepting their offerings felt like I of a double-edged sword. It was not the gift of charity that was most upsetting to me. It was the way it was given. I can't read minds, but the looks on the faces of the family told a demoralising and depressing story. What a waste of space. How pathetic. What's wrong with him? Can't even feed himself, let alone his kids. Although they would never say such things directly, it was heavily implied. That cut me deeply. I loved him, and it hurt. But I could see both sides. He really was a failure. They provided the material support, but never emotional. They would give him stuff to survive, but no reason to do so. Families should be about more. I felt utterly powerless to help him, but also amazingly angry at the whole situation. Why was it like this? Why did I, because of association with my father, feel like a black sheep of the family? Felt ostracised from them, judged and looked down upon. I'm still not sure at what I'm angrier at. My family for not understanding, or my dad for being different. Maybe I'm just angry. I truly realised just how different my dad was at the end of year seven. By this stage in my life, I had started to develop friendships and establish myself in a social group. I faced minor bullying issues, but nothing too major. However, I had seen how one event, one embarrassing moment, could lead to the expulsion of an individual from a peer group, leading to a random person becoming that guy that everyone picked on. I still had affection for Dad, so when it was time for the school award ceremony, I asked if he could come. I expected him to say yes, but to not turn up, as was the pattern until that point. I was used to being let down on that front, and yet I still perpetually tried to show him I was good at things. I wanted him to be proud of me, to tell me that I'd done well at something and that he was happy for me. 
So when I was up on stage and saw him entering, my heart skipped a beat. For a brief instant, I was happy. He did care. That was until a close friend of mine spoke. Who let the bum in? Upon hearing the comment, I looked around in search for the bum. Why would a bum come to a school ceremony just to watch the awards? Then I realised who he was talking about. In that moment, I saw Dad for what he really was. For years, that moment has stood out in my psyche as one of the most vivid and poignant instances of my childhood. It was by no means the most traumatic thing I've gone through, but it was significant. It was the moment that I decided to completely cut him out of my life. Previously, he'd just been my dad. I recognised that he had his issues and dramas, but I was naive and forgiving. I noticed some of the differences between him and other dads, but I didn't pay much attention. That all changed. It was sixth period, and the school's large basketball stadium was converted for the award ceremony. My dad was entering a room which was filled with thousands of students as well as hundreds of parents and teachers, people that I interacted with each day, people that judged me and knew me, my friends, my enemies, my world, dressed like that. On his feet, he wore thongs, old and broken, revealing his toes. Disgusting and yellow, his toenails were plagued with a fungal infection that caused deformity and swelling. It was so unsightly that you wouldn't want to touch the ground he was walking on. He was wearing his usual track pants, so old that any branding had long since faded away. They were coloured a light blue, but were interposed with a random assortment of coloured stains and moth holes. He wore them low, barely held up by the thread around his fading waistline. His shirt was an old red farmer's flannel top, at least two sizes too small for him. That day, he chose to button it up incorrectly, revealing some of his chest hair. To keep himself warm, he wore a small black beanie on his head which framed his unkempt facial hair. Finally, across his eyelids were numerous visible fatty deposits. These looked like unpopped pimples, with the smallest being the size of a five-cent coin. That was my dad. He dressed this way all the time, yet only now was I finally awake to the truth of what he looked like. He really was a bum. I didn't respond with anything other than a laugh when my friends continued to bag him out. As he walked into the room past the teachers, parents and other students, a strange thing started to happen. Even before they saw him, they were all starting to recoil away from him. The teachers were whispering to themselves about something. Something that clearly had to do with Dad. The students' reactions told the full story. You know how over-the-top kids can be when somebody farts in class? Gasping for breath, pinching their noses and pretending to suffocate? That's what they were doing. All of them. As Dad walked past, he left a wave of students struggling to breathe. It would have been hilarious had it been anyone else. I never got close enough to Dad to smell him that day but I've no doubt that this time they were not overreacting. He was lucky to shower or change his clothes once every couple of weeks. Subsequently, he always had a distinct odour, akin to body odour mixed with mould and marijuana. Fortunately, my friends didn't know who he was. They hadn't realised that he was related to me or that he was my guest here. Thank God nobody had met him and that I had the sense to never invite people over to our house. I positioned myself in a way that ensured I was hidden behind a wall of my classmates. The last thing I wanted was to blow my cover with him waving to me or calling out. When it was my turn to receive an award, I quickly walked out on stage and, refusing to look at the audience, hastily shook the principal's hand. Then I quickly retreated to my seat in the front row, nervously waiting until the end of the long presentation session for the rest of the school group to receive their awards. When it came time to leave, I made sure that I was surrounded by friends. I hoped that I could get out without Dad noticing me and attempting to speak. I'd gone from desiring his praise to being utterly dismayed at his existence in one afternoon. To my horror, as we were leaving the stadium, Dad started walking over to my group. I don't know if he saw me, or if he had given up and was also leaving. I refused to look over, and walked right past him. I didn't say hi, or acknowledge him in any way. 
I left without saying a word. From that day on, I chose to severely limit my contact with him. I would stop seeing him unless necessary, and I would never invite him to anything public. But more importantly, or detrimentally, I decided to block him out emotionally. I made a concerted effort, a pact with myself, to no longer feel anything for him. Not anger, sadness, joy, or love. Nothing. My primary coping mechanism, dissociation, came out in full force. I made the choice to make him cease to exist. I still regularly saw him and spoke to him, but from that moment on, and for years after, he was nothing to me. Or so I thought. Thinking back, I can't help but feel saddened by it all. I'm writing this with tears streaming down my face. I'm sickened by my reaction to the situation. I mean, he was my dad after all. He deserved my love and acknowledgement. I cannot imagine the hurt a parent must feel when being snubbed by their child. I know it would have taken him a lot of guts to even turn up. I'm happy that he came. It showed that he cared for me, that he was proud. I'll never forget that. And those close friends, whose judgement I was so concerned about, are no longer in my life. Practically nobody from school is. Maybe this is because I was only really acting back then, or the confusion of my childhood had made me believe that they were my true friends. It turns out that when I found myself, I realised that they were not who I thought they were, that they were not worthy of my time. However, I still stand by my actions. Regrettably, high school is often about survival. I did what I did to survive, to get by, and endure another day. So there you have it. Under the Influence of Reclaiming My Childhood is available now as a paperback, ebook, and audiobook. And I've put the links below um, to the Amazon store where you can purchase it. But if you want to read more about it or connect with me, please head over to my website at zachary-phillips.com or through my social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Zach P. Phillips. So feel free to message me there and, you know, let me know what you think of my story as well as share yours with me. And speaking of sharing your story, I've started a project called the Share Your Story Project. I wanted to provide a place in which people could write in and have their story shared in a way that it could potentially help a lot of other people to connect with and you know understand a new aspect of humanity and someone else's story. I got so much benefit from writing and sharing my own story, and people are writing in to me saying, that reading what I write has helped them, that I wanted to provide a place for you guys to write and connect with other people to help other people out. So if you head over to my website at zacharyhuffmanphillips.com slash share your story, you can see the, I think, 10 plus stories that I've got up there at the moment, and I've got some more to upload, but they're about a variety of different topics. Some of them are about mental health and mental illness. Some of them are about martial arts training. Some of them are about travel. There's a there's one that's about, you know, behind the scenes story of what it's like to be a doctor. There's, there's a bunch of different things up. The one common trait is that the people that have written them have thanked me for providing the opportunity, but more so the the push to write down. Because once, from my experience, once you start writing, there's a lot of healing that grows and you sort of get to make sense of the stuff that's floating around in your head, you put it down on the page, the page listens, and you heal. So, like I said, I encourage you to write, and if you're brave enough and you want to and you think it'll help other people to share, please head over to the Share Your Story Project part of my page. Have a read-through of what other people are sharing, and if you want to, connect with me, and we'll share your story too. Thanks.